0: with me in my foul life What's up
1: podcast world chat building back at you the foul life duck dog series podcast fueled by Yukonuba. remember to check out all of the new diets and nutritional plans by our friends at Yukonuba. all of the research all of the science it's dead on to exactly giving your dogs what they need male or female to live his or her best life in the duck blind in the house on the training grounds we truly believe in it we're truly humbled to be part of the Yukonuba sporting dog team and I'm also humbled to have my good buddy Ira McCauley on the podcast today from being a veterinarian and entrepreneur. entrepreneur. Entrepreneur, a duck hunter, a turkey hunter, a dog owner, a dog trainer. He designs products in the dog world. He's been there, done that. He's a heck of a guy. Ira, welcome, my man.
0: What's going on, man?
1: Buddy, it's good to see you.
0: Yeah. Heck
1: yeah. What are you up to? I mean, it's the dog days of summer and literally dog days. You're a veterinarian with COVID. Everybody's at home. Everybody is, is locked in the house with their pets. They're probably focused and geared up, making sure that those pets are taken care of more than ever. Now, if not, the hustle and bustle is going on as much. Are you seeing an uprising in clientele coming through the doors?
0: Well, they're not coming through the doors cause we're doing everything curbside, but uh, yeah, man, it is crazy. I mean, we're just super, super busy. Um, everybody's at home. Everybody's getting new pets. I don't know how they're paying for it. I guess the stimulus money's kicking in, but people are spending money on their pets like there's no tomorrow. And uh, we're, we're super busy. I mean, our numbers are, are way up. The, probably the biggest problem we have is phone lines because, you know, when you're doing stuff curbside, it's so phone line intensive because everybody's calling you to let you know they're there. You got to call them to check them out. Um, so we added five phone lines last week and it's just, then you got to have somebody to answer them. It's just crazy. You know, I've been calling all the clients on my cell phone, just to try and keep off of our phones. And then, you know, you get texts at two in the morning from your best buddy and never remembered what their name was before. And they're like asking you about the pimple on their dog's butt.
1: <laughs> how, what, what are, uh, how many offices do y'all have?
0: We have two two veterinary clinics. Yeah, thank two. God. We we wanted to open another one. Thank God it didn't work out.
1: You just would have been extra bit ultra busy then, huh?
0: Man, you can't. I mean, veterinarians are in a huge shortage. I mean, it is so difficult to find a veterinarian to hire. Like, we finally found a gal to uh, interview last week. She's got a job. She's doing well. Um, you know, we're talking about just seeing if we can get her part time at least during duck season. You know, and she basically just can tell us whatever she wants to make. And I mean it's yeah, it's it's tough, man. There are just no vets out there. So I can only imagine if you built a new clinic right now and you needed to hire some veterinary staff, you just can't find them. I mean, they're just not out there.
1: What is the, what is the, kind of some of the main things that can, that are going on? Is dehydration a big deal with dogs? Um, I remember talking with you a little bit about, about stuff like dehydration and feeding, you know, when, when I'm feeding, should I put water in their bowl? And this time of year when temperatures are in the nineties consistently, Ira, are do you see a lot of that or, or is it, is it just kind of? Uh, personal thing to where some people might have a dog that doesn't drink as much. I would assume that a lot of things that could go wrong with the dog this time of year would, hap- would happen because of being dehydrated. Is that fair to say, or am I way off?
0: Man, yeah, not really. I mean, you know, dogs don't really get dehydrated too much unless they're, you know, having severe GI distress. So like, you know, if they're puking, they're losing water that way, and they're having diarrhea, and they're losing it out the back end, and then of course, they try to drink and they throw more up then we can have severe dehydration problems. But when it's hot, really our biggest problem that we have is heat stroke. So, you know, sure, they might be dehydrated, but they're presenting to you because they got all kinds of bad stuff going on, you know, where their body's shutting down and they're in stroke and then their body starts to kind of attack itself and they can get DIC, which is like where they start bleeding to death and stuff. So heat stroke is really a big thing that, you know, People who would, if you put your dog in a terrible situation, then, you know, we deal with that this time of year.
1: And are you, do you, is that mainly because there's too much exercise going on in the temperatures and people aren't taking that into consideration? Or is it not even really like you're training a dog a bunch and putting him through high intensity, or putting her through high intensity training. This can happen just because dogs are out panting and running around the yard and not being in the shade enough and, and not drinking enough water.
0: Well, a lot of it depends on the overall health of your dog, you know, just like COVID. I mean, who's dropping dead of COVID? Well, it's mainly older people or people that have complications, you know. So if you got a two-year-old healthy lab, no, nah, man, he's not going to get heat stroke. I mean, unless you leave him in the car with the windows rolled up or something like that. But if he's got access to water, he's going to find a shady spot and he's going to be fine no matter, you know, not no matter what you do. But for the most part, but, you know, you get some of these dogs that are a little older, maybe have some underlying respiratory disease or anything that's going on. And they do a little too much, man. Things, you know, the wheels can fall off the cart, and then you're in a really emergency, emergency type situation, you know. And uh, so, when you have that happen in the field, you know, trying to get them cooled off, of course, is good. But you can even exacerbate it more if you cool them off too quickly, you know. Then you can have things decompensate more. So, the best thing to do is just, hey, man, use common sense. If your dog's old, and if it's hot outside. And you want to do any training or anything? Do it early in the morning before it starts getting hot.
1: And are you do? Do you do a lot of this? It, it seems to me like you have like the ultimate setup to be one. You own one of the most successful. Outfitters in the history of the United States I told Vandemore that the other day What Habitat Flats has become is truly amazing We'll talk about that, congratulations on that You're a successful veterinarian You have relationships with with Companies in the industry You design dog products through your own companies That you started, still Part owner of some of them, you've sold some of them You work with different companies in the duck And goose hunting industry And then on top of that you have this you, You have a fascination with dogs And a love for dogs, so you have it all covered and on top of that you can literally analyze a dog from A to Z with health. So really you have like the master's degree, right? To be the ultimate duck hunter, dog trainer, dog handler, dog owner, dog lover, dog product designer. You kind of know all the ins and outs and the, the, the little intricate details, what it takes to make sure that that dog is living his or her best life. And so with that being said, is it is, is, is a huge priority for you? Is your daily routine, even when you're not in that veterinarian hospital, are you thinking about dogs? Are you working with dogs? having dogs around or they ride in your trucks. Are you an overall dog lover year-round, Ira?
0: Oh yeah. I mean, you know, dogs have been great to me. Hopefully I can give a little bit back to them, you know, by trying to keep them more comfortable at home and safer in and out of the field and all that stuff, you know, but um, you know, you've got all your sporting dogs, which hold a special place in all our hearts as hunters, you know, but then you've got the pit bulls that come through and the Pomeranians and the Chihuahuas and the puppies and the old ones that have splenic masses and whatever. And, uh, you know, they're all special and enjoyable to see, except for the rare one that, you know, really is just not a, not a great contributor to society. But, uh, yeah, man, I mean, especially now, like with curbside, you know, when people come in with their dog, it's kind of weird because a lot of those dogs are kind of, a little more uneasy because they're not sure if they need to be protective or whatever you know they're paying a lot of attention to their owner now that the owner's out of the deal we bring the dogs in and win them over with some treats and they're like oh heck you're a good guy you're my best buddy you know and then we're right off to the races so yeah do- i mean dogs puppies if you don't love them there's something wrong with you
1: so with that being said do you have other dogs in your family that aren't labs or sporting dogs duck dogs per se
0: Oh, yeah, we've got – so I've got my main hunting dogs. So my old dog, Sadie, she died last year. And so I've got a replacement for her named Cass. She's really a nice dog, man, super easy. Um, then we have a mutt. We, you know, the kids and wife just had to have a mutt nine years ago. Trixie, she's a killer. She kills deer, coons, anything that comes in her yard, she kills it. <laughs> she's a golden retriever, border collie cross. And then as of last week, we got a freaking – miniature wiener little wiener dog so now we got a wiener that's living in the house you know we've never had a house dog before so i'd pick up poop on the carpet by my feet this morning it's a little different than what we're used to at our house here
1: so you got the pets going you got the sporting dogs going what is it what kind of attention do you give cash what kind of um when sadie was alive and i'm sorry that she's gone but she was a heck of a dog what kind of attention does a guy like ira you know hang his hat on with a sporting dog let's start there is it uh is it a vip lifestyle that these sporting dogs because of what they give to you in the field do you is it the ultimate care that you give these dogs on a daily basis because i imagine that you have to be paying attention when you when you're hunting over that high caliber of a dog you have to always be paying attention to their well-being all year round right
0: well i mean I guess first and foremost, I'm in mean, cash, my buddy. So everywhere I go, she goes, she's always with me, you know? And so, I mean, when, she, when I'm at the office, she's on some sort of a climb in my office, you know, and, um, we do a little bit of work before work, you know, we'll, just nothing big, you know, do a little work in the parking lot or field next to it or somewhere on the way there. And, um, you know, so she's got good off button, uh, So she's easy to have around, easy to take wherever. Um, But then from a a health standpoint, I mean, you know, most of our dogs are healthy unless they have allergy issues or knee issues or whatever. Luckily, so far, she's been a very low maintenance dog from a health standpoint, you know. So she's kind of plug and play, do the routine stuff and uh, really haven't had any, any issues with her. I wish I could say the same for all of our sporting breeds, you know, anytime you buy a puppy from a health standpoint, and I'm not saying you can't stack the odds in your favor, but it's always a little bit of a crapshoot. I mean, genetics are what they are, you know, and just because you buy some wonderful pedigree dog, you could still have a cruciate ligament rupture or, you know, any, or allergies are very common, you know, uh, any number of different, different things so you know we get dogs with those special things going on those are the ones that require quite a bit of extra care you know the ones that are healthy you feed them a good quality diet make sure they have plenty of of water treat them fair emotionally and physically and you know the majority of them are not going to take that much until they get older
1: when you start moving into duck season ira and you start to put put a different hat on and you become one of the guys that are entertaining over at habitat flats and your different lodges there what roles does cash play and other dogs what role did sadie play vandemore's dogs your brother's dogs are they entertainment for the guests do they get really friendly with all of the clients are they very disciplined where you got to keep them in kennels are the clients allowed to bring their dogs and hunt over them or do you require them to leave them at home so you guys have control of the hunt and the dogs going out in the decoys to get the birds how does it work at habitat flats as far as the dogs go
0: well, I mean, you know, yes, we allow clients to bring their dogs, um, but but we preface it with, hey, if you're going to be the guy and your dog's going to be the dog, then you are in charge of getting cripples. You're in charge of shooting cripples. You're in charge of being proactive and going out there and you know helping to make the hunt stay efficient, right? So we don't want some guy blowing his whistle for 15 minutes trying to work his dog in the corn where the dog can't even see him. You need to be out there shooting cripples and all that, right? So we give them some direction on if you want to be the guy, here are our expectations, and no offense, but if it's just not working out, then you're going to have to put your dog in the truck. And in all fairness, you got to remember that these guide dogs, man, they, I mean, they're hunting the same spots over and over. They know the deal. They know what the duck's going to do before the duck knows what it's going to do. They know how to get into the bind. They know how to get out of the vine. All, all those little things that You would learn, a person would learn from doing the same thing over and over again. A dog learns, So, you know, guy might show up with the greatest retriever in the world in, let's say, a hunt test setting or whatever. He still had never hunted that hole. He hadn't been in and out of that box. He hadn't had, you know, eight guns going off. Just all the the things with all the crazy variables that can happen during hunting that these dogs have seen a thousand times. And someone brings their dog in that they've never been in that situation. The dog hadn't. I Man, you're just asking a whole lot, you know, to have the same set of expectations. So many times, and I and I tell guys this because uh, it's true. But many times through the years, people show up, and of course they're a little, little bit. I'm not gonna say nervous, but you know, you just there's some unknowns there. So a lot of times, first day they'll be like, "Well, I we'll just take your dog today and kind of see. You know, I'll feel it out and give it the big toe test and see." Well, of course, it looks really easy, right? Because that dog knows exactly what it's doing. And then they take their dog the next day, may be an excellent dog in a lot of situations, but it's never been there before. And then they are feeling all the pressure and they get frustrated and then things go downhill from there, you know? And so I've seen it happen many times, nothing against the, the handler or the dog. It's just, uh, you know, it, there's a different level of experience there that gives our dogs an advantage. You know what I'm saying? Hundred percent.
1: Yeah, they're acclimated. They know the roadmap to success in that place. They're comfortable. It's almost like, you know, like just the guide. I mean, you put a new guide in there that goes in there, and he doesn't really know the wind direction or how the ducks work over this set of trees as opposed to this opening. Kind of the same thing, right?
0: Yeah, doesn't know where the decoys are. Doesn't know whatever. You know, where someone's been there before. You know, they do it with their eyes closed.
1: So if Ira McCauley's the man that morning, give us a checklist, Ira, being a veterinarian and a duck hunter and a part-time guide sometimes and an entertainer, Give me your checklist for the dog that morning. What do you make sure of? How does the morning start? Do we feed in the morning because of the energies getting ready to be exerted by this dog, male or female? Do we have kibble in the blind for snacks? Do we have a supplement in the blind? Um, what, what's in your blind bag that pertains to that dog? And how do we make sure that that hunt is the absolute best experience for that dog from A to Z?
0: Yeah, I always feed my dog something in the morning during hunting season because uh, it all started with my old chessy Slack. I mean, if you didn't feed him in the morning before you went hunting, something like a third of a meal or whatever, if you were teal hunting or dove hunting, you know, something that he could get down his throat, uh, he was going to take the first one for himself. So, you know, I I think that we're expecting a whole lot of them in, in sometimes rough conditions, whether it's hot or cold you know, if it's hot, I'd be less likely to feed. I I'd just feed a hare. Um, but when it's cold, you know, I give, I give her about a third of her ration before we go, make sure she's got a little time to get aired out there. Um, most of my hunting, I'm hunting real close to my house, you know, so we'll, we'll take a little bitty trip there. She knows the routine. I mean, I never have to look for her. She's guaranteed to be in the ranger. I mean, the second I open her, her kennel up, First place she's going is to the middle of that back seat, you know, and that's where you're gonna find her Let's put her somewhere else. And then, you know, a lot of our Momar's items, that's such an important part of it, right? When it's dark. And let's say that I'm not going to hunt an established blind, which she's been to all those a million times. So second I turn the ranger key off, she's in her dog box, you know, or in Bizzallab or wherever we're going. But let's say that we're freelancing. And uh, you know we got a ranger ride to get there. We got to tow sled out there. We got to set everything up. Well, the first thing I'm gonna set up is gonna be her, whatever it is, whether it's final stand or bizlab or for field hunting, you know, ground bond. And then she knows. I mean, that's her spot. I don't have to worry about someone running over. I don't have to worry about her disappearing, going and chasing a skunk, any of that stuff. You know, I know she's gonna be in her spot until it's go time. And so I think that that's just you know setting up that routine. It's just like for me or you, you know, we're going hunting every day. Okay. Well, what's our mental checklist we go through? Uh, do I have my gun? Do I have my shells? Do I have my, you know, my blind bag? Um, do I have whatever I need for that hunt? Um, are there any other things that I need? So, With the dog, yeah, I mean the big thing is for me is giving her a little time before we leave the house to let her air out, feed her a little bit, make sure that she's in a known spot that's safe, which she always is. Sadie, she was way tougher because that dog was a friggin' pig. That's what eventually killed her. But you know, she was always looking for something to eat. So, man, I mean, you know, you you were always like, "Well, where's Sadie?" Okay, she's supposed where she's supposed to be, but she sometimes wouldn't be because she was out looking for a snack somewhere, anything to eat, you know, roll in, whatever. And so uh, I think it's important that guys are cognizant about where their dog is, especially in the dark, you know, uh, from safety aspect more than anything.
1: So let me ask you this, just playing the devil's advocate, Ira McCauley, why wouldn't you just keep her in an enclosed kennel until all the vehicles are out of the area and the sun's coming up a little bit to where you can let her out of that kennel and put her in her Invisalab or one of the blinds she's about to hunt out of?
0: Well, a lot of times it's planes, trains, and automobiles. You know, we might take my truck, which she would be in a box there, from my house to, you know, our farm that I hunt the most. And then she goes in a Ranger. And then she may be in a sled or a boat to get to where she's going. And then once we get there, we may have to construct something or we may be hunting something that's modular. You know what I mean? So we really don't have the room for a kennel in a lot of those situations.
1: So that's why that's very important to make sure that when a dog is in his or her place, when you say place or whatever your command word is, the rule of thumb is that that dog's not supposed to get up from there until you give her him the next command. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. And then you're, Oh, go ahead. Sorry.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gone and like with Sadie, she'd run around, you know, and, and half the time, some come up, I'd already have three ducks, you know, I'm like, (laughs) stop bringing me ducks, get in your spot and quit bringing ducks to me. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, and I got to do something with them. Well, I guess I get to shoot one today.
1: <laughs> that, your limits down to one now. What what when you're in when you're dur- during the hunt, you're not guiding when you're at habitat flats. You're not a guide, right? You're not per se taking a client out. You are you mainly hunting on your own? Do you jump yeah. into some groups?
0: Yeah, I haven't really guided unless there's some sort of a you know issue, someone's sick or whatever for man, I don't know, probably five years, four or five years, or sometimes some of my old friends, you know, that I took forever, they come in and I'll take them, you know, have them come with me or whatever.
1: So when you're doing that part, now you're guiding, you're calling the shot, you're watching the ducks, you're, are you, are you handling the dog too? Because it's a lot of work to pay attention to all of that. So now here's where training comes into effect, right? Ira, you have to have a dog, That doesn't need all of your attention the whole time in the blind and that you know is going to be there as soon as that gun goes off. She's not going to break. He's not going to break. Duck, 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 blind retrieve, hand signals, casting him or her back in the blind efficiently to where you're not messing up the next flock. That's a lot of work, a lot of responsibility. What, what are some of the hints that Ira McCauley would give to people? How do you get better at that? Because it's not as easy as a guy like you or Vandemore would make it look with hunting as many days as you do. So what are some tips that you could tell somebody to get more efficient at that of be, calling the shot, call, using your duck call, making sure guns are all safe and loaded in the right positions and pointed in the right positions. There's a lot of responsibility to duck blind. And now you put another human, human body or another living body in there with a dog and you're also in charge of that are there some is there some advice that you could give to somebody that could get them going down the right road when it comes to getting better at that
0: yeah man so i think it's super important safety's got to be first right and so without being rude you have to make things black and white for everybody you got to make things black and white for the dog you don't break you're steady all that you got to make things black and white for your clients so safety on when the ducks hit the water if anything's got its head up you shoot that duck, but the second I send the dog, nobody shoots anymore because I don't want a deaf dog. I don't want a dog getting shot. None of that. So, you know, I I want those guys to shoot the cripples when they hit the water. Um, but, uh, obviously you have to have a dog that's steady for that to work. Right. So, um, I make all that black and white in the beginning, you know, we go through a little safety spiel. We talk about the dog, we talk about the way that things are going to work, uh, make it black and white for those guys. And then, you know, I mean, we're out there hunting to achieve an end goal, right? Which is, uh, which is, uh, safety and then everybody getting their ducks and then having a great experience. So, um, as a guide, we don't tend to, I think a lot of people that are dog guys, kind of can overhandle their dogs when they're hunting, you know, they blow their whistle, they redirect them, especially on a cripple man, your dog's got a way better chance of getting that duck without your assistance, unless it's way off than you do. So, you know, especially an experienced dog, if I saw a cripple hit the weed somewhere, um, there's no reason for me to blow my whistle when that dog gets on that bank over there. Cause I don't know which way it went. I don't know what it did from there. You know, when a duck hits the ground in the weeds I'm not going to handle my dog once it gets to the area of fall because the dog's got a nose and it's there. I'm standing a hundred yards away in a blind. I have no idea, you know? So I, I see that so often where guys are blowing their whistle, you know, micromanaging the line that the dog's on and all that. And for a meat dog in a hunting situation where that dog's got to pick up 32 ducks today, let the dog do its thing. I mean, if you got a cripple, get out there and help it. Um, and depending on where you are too, you know, like if you're in flooded horn corn, you got to help a bunch more because that dog, especially if something's blown over or whatever, it's not going to be able to get it without your help. The duck's faster than the dog. Uh, but if you're in one of our little ponds in the woods and you know, it's dry ground all the way around that dog, that, that duck's screwed. You know, the dog's going to get it and um am sure no reason to handle them. You know, you just keep sending them until they bring them all back. And, uh, So, uh, but like I said, especially when you have a client, safety first, but even with, you know, my family and whatever, you know, people that may not have hunted quite so much, I I let them know what the deal is on on safety. And then the other thing that I'm so hyper aware of now is hearing. Because, you know, Sadie was stone deaf at five years old. I mean, she could not hear anything. She could hear a whistle just a little but anything that wasn't that frequency, man, she couldn't hear it at all. And so, like, cash, I will not shoot over her. I mean, I will not shoot a cripple. If I shoot over her head, I won't do it. I, I mean, if I lose it, I'll try as hard as I can. But if we don't end up getting it, well, I'd rather have that happen than have a deaf dog again.
1: And when you meet people that, that see what you do and how you, ha- you know, this – this team that you have, the dog, the the hunter, the handling, all of the hours that go into that, do you find that most people are intimidated by, you know, getting to that level? Um, there's a lot of people, to, uh, uh, Ira, that don't hunt ducks with a dog. I know if I asked you the question, would you ever go without a dog, you would probably say, heck no. If my dog's not with me, I'm not hunting either. Now, that might be presumptuous to say that. I might be assuming too much. But does it surprise you that how many people don't have dogs? And would you tell somebody that to elevate your hunt, to, ma- to capitalize and get the most out of the waterfowling culture, what What would you say to somebody that that's not a dog owner but is kind of on the fence, teeter tottering well, should I get a dog? Should I take that next step because now I got a lot of responsibility? Not only do I have to get it trained or train it myself, I have to become a better handler. There's way more safety like what you're talking about the hearing the not not being out in front of the muzzle, the placement in the blind. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. What would your advice be on that level
0: well, I mean I <laughs> having a dog is not realistic for everybody. I mean, if you're a college kid and you love duck hunt, yeah, you probably shouldn't have a dog, you know? I mean, when I was, uh, in undergrad, I didn't have a dog and, and I still enjoyed duck hunting for sure. Um, I did, you know, there were a lot more ducks that I didn't find then. And a dog just brings, you know, they bring so much more enjoyment to the hunt. If you have a trained dog that's, that's well-mannered and, uh, you know, isn't obnoxious and all that stuff, man, they're just, so nice to have along from, you know, getting cripples and finding ducks that you would have never found to just, you know, sharing the moment with them and sharing, you know, little snacks with them, giving them a pet on the head, watching them do the incredible things that they can do, um, appreciating what what a gifted and tough animal they are. I mean, my God, some of the times when, you know, when our sporting dogs are going just balls to the wall through some brutal conditions you know busting ice and just happier than heck to be doing their job i mean that isn't a, it still just brings me to awe, you know to to witness an animal wanting to do that having that much drive to want to go be part of the team and, and get that bird um it's just like good gosh if you ask me to get in that crazy Water, I'd tell you there's no friggin' way I'd stay on the couch for the rest of my life. You know, I mean, it's just amazing to see some of the things that they can do. Having said that, you know, there are a lot of responsibility. It, it, they cost money, they take time. You know, you don't want to get one, in my opinion. And I think there's just way too many people who their level inputs here and their expectations are here. And then that is just, that's a bad situation. You know, you're putting your dog in a bad situation. You're, you're putting yourself in a bad situation from, you know, you're going to be disappointed. The dog's going to be frustrated. And then you're just taking huge step steps backwards. You know, when I, when I look at people that really know a lot about dogs and have had a lot of dogs, I'm always amazed at the level of uh, the level of patience that those guys have, you know, because it's so easy to get frustrated and want to cut corners and have big expectations and then blame it on the dog through a negative, whether, you know, it's a a choke chain or a shot collar or yelling at it or beating on it or whatever. And man, all you're doing there is taking the whole team down, you know, and and I see that happen too much. So um, I think there's a time and a place for a dog, uh, a retriever, and the bond that the way that it should be and and uh, the bond in the field and the bond at home. And you know, if you're just not at a situation at a point in your life where you're ready for that or capable of that, then you probably shouldn't get a dog.
1: When you start talking about Sadie and her passing, when you're a dog owner and you get to that point of you you have this dog that's given you all this great you know energy over the years, and so many great memories and stories told, pictures painted. What age does Sadie get to to where to where Iris starts looking for what you called in the beginning of this conversation, the replacement? You had to get cash. Did you do that when you saw when when she when Sadie reached a certain age? What would you tell a dog handler? How old does this dog get to where you know that he doesn't he or she doesn't have, you know, a lot of hunts left in him or her before you start another dog?
0: Well, there was another one before Cash. I, I kept one of her puppies. I didn't want to keep it. It was earlier than I wanted a replacement, but but our kids wanted a puppy out of the litter, so I kept a dog named Butter. And Budda was good in a training situation, but, man, you know, she had a disconnect in her brain to where when you started shooting lots of guns and and, and birds started falling and all that, it was the craziest thing. I mean, I talked to the university and everybody about it. I mean, it's just super weird. One of those really weird deals where she would get situational. I'm going to use some big words here, situational nystagmus. So like when she was in that environment and you shot her eyes and her whole head would start flipping back and forth like this uncontrollably. And you'd send her like, she'd know where that Mark was. You'd send her and she would go 90 degrees to the right out of control. She'd go about, between 50 and 100 yards and then start to regain control come around get the bird but still just like on the merry-go-round man you know she'd fall in the blind and fall over and so i finally just gave her away as a pet dog and started back over with cash but you know i think that age to do it be looking for replacements in that seven to eight year old time frame
1: when is a dog's prime ira
0: Oh, man, you know, I think very some, but what I've noticed, the pattern, and you can tell me what you think about this, but, you know, we have a puppy, a young dog in training, right? We're real intensive. We're real focused on the dog. So, year one, the dog's got a pretty good base, but certainly not finished. Year two, that dog's pretty polished. I mean, it's had a lot of recent training under its belt. Um You've been focused on working with it, probably from a, a training and handling standpoint. That's probably the best that most dogs are going to be because you've been putting the time and effort into them. They may not have the most hunting experience yet at that point, and their drive is probably going to go up more. But I'd say you know that's probably when they're they're at their peak of actual sit on the whistle take your casts, all that stuff because we've been doing a really good job, you know? And then after that, most guys aren't going to keep them in year round professional training. Right. And then you're busy with your life. And so maybe you're working your dog a day, a week or, or whatever. And so from a handling standpoint, I think things start to go downhill for most guys there, uh, unless you're really into it, you know? Um, but of course your dogs get more and more experience, So you know i'd say somewhere between three and seven is probably the peak you know they get seven and you're you know you're feeding them and and just not probably doing a whole lot of intensive training with those dogs anymore you know you're looking forward to the next thing or whatever that's
1: what do you very, think about that? i don't know that's very interesting the way that you answered that question with the <clears throat> with that Everyday training and being able to take a whistle and a cast and and and, 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 and a blind and all of the things that they do—it's very interesting for you to put it into that time frame. And then as you get into their hunting days, you might have them at home with an owner that's not an everyday trainer. One day a week out of seven, because of the hustle and bustle of life, so that dog—it's like riding a bike for them in a lot of ways, but without the consistency of the everyday training, um, they can get they can get out of shape, they can get out of practice, they can you know get interested in other things like butterflies. Get uh-huh. Get
0: sloppy on whistle sits, get sloppy on cash. you know, but they already know it. So we become lackadaisical about enforcing it. And like you said, training, you know, and so then we're just not putting in the ass time and they get sloppy, you know.
1: It's so interesting to hear that because now you're right back to that analogy of what your expectations are with the input. Even though that dog had a lot of money invested in him or her in training and she come and comes from a good bloodline and a pedigree, right? And a breeding. Now all of a sudden they're at that three and a half, four years old, and they might be going backwards a little bit as far as of of being able to take the right cast or the whistle. And now that might now their instincts are gonna kick in, their energy is gonna go up, their desire to go might, you know, increase, like you said but as far as like the the ins and outs of knowing what they're supposed to be doing might go down a little bit it's almost like would you be called a hunting dog iq does their iq go down when they're not getting as much practice and it, with the training a, it, after that initial step
0: well i mean i'm not a golfer but i'm sure it's just like playing golf you know if you're playing every day then you're probably going to be more consistent than if you're playing three times summer even if you played in high school all the time you know what i mean I
1: had an experience in canada last year along these same lines kind of ira where i have a yellow named duff and had really good training um young and i stayed on it was kept practicing well, not as much nearly um went to canada and the first day out we're in water doesn't happen a lot in canada where we're at in alberta we're usually in peas or some kind of weed or something about after 10 retrieves I Start to see a slowdown. This is a high-energy dog loves to perform loves to please I start to see a slowdown then I start to realize that his tail is Completely down and he's not wagging it. He's not doing anything and when he's swimming he's swimming real slow so I started to do some research with some of our trainers and asking about this thing called drop tail and what causes this talk to us a little bit about what the tail is used for on a sporting dog in a swimming situation like the boat motor and, and the rudder and all that and what happens what what did i do wrong what went wrong on that hunt was it the temperature of the water was it him not swimming enough leading into that hunt was he out of shape and his muscles around the top of his tail where it connects to his ass and his body weren't ready to go is it all of that talk to me about drop tail a little bit.
0: Yeah. So it's called, you know, cold tail or limber tail or drop tail. There's a lot of different names for, it. you know, there's a lot of factors. So like some dogs will never get it, you know, just won't ever get it. And then other dogs will get it the first hunt of every season. And then other dogs will get it, you know, after a long car ride in a cramped up space and then a big day when it's super cold, you know, so you can't necessarily paint it with a broad brush all the way across, but, is very common in, in, uh, in our retrieving breeds. In fact, Cash had it really bad, I don't know, here about three weeks ago. My turn to the city farm, and she swam after the, the boys were tubing behind the jet ski there for hours, and she was out there swimming for like three hours. Buddy, next three days, I mean, she was biting her tail, and oh, yeah, she just was so unhappy, you know. But um, especially if they're not getting trained a lot or not doing a whole lot in the summertime, you know, of, of intensive training and then they really overdo it. So it'd be like, Oh, I were, you know, sitting on the couch like I normally do and then going out and running a half marathon. Well, buddy, I I'd have limber tail also, you know, I, I'd be dragging around and popping the ibuprofen and uh basically that's what it is. But yeah, it's where the tail and the upper gluteals come together. And I mean, those dogs get super painful there. So you'll see them, like you said the tail's hanging down it's not wagging they'll circle around lay down get up and uh you know it's really uncomfortable for them and there's other than pain meds there's not a whole lot you can do about it besides pain meds and time you know so we help them out with some non anti-inflammatory drugs and then three to five days they're back to normal and then they don't tend to get it over and over again so like you know, I'm sure part of it just has to do with those muscles not being used to doing whatever that level of intensity was because they tend to get it like the first big day in water of the year where they have a bunch of big retreats where they do a bunch of swimming. Like I said, she did. She swam for three hours the other day and had it. And then after that, those they don't tend to get it again for that year.
1: But it's kind of like maybe a, a pulled hamstring to where you can get it reoccurring, but it's not going to cause any like long term effects health wise per se on the dog.
0: Yeah, no, it's much more like just sore muscles. You know, I mean, that's what it is inflammation of those muscles. And uh, I think that's why we tend to see it once and then we don't really see it again or, or we wouldn't see it's near the intensity. You know what I mean? It'd be like you getting up, you know, let's say you, you did an exercise and you got up and ran a 5K. you're going to be really sore that first time crippled you know and then if you ran a 5k three times a week you'd probably be fine after that you know what i mean
1: when you start to talk to people about that 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 part of their career ira of of going and getting their dog they're they're in the market for a puppy they don't want to start a dog they want a puppy they want to find the right pedigree what do you tell them to look for is it is it Is it the eyes? Is it the hips? When they start looking at the blood work, what is there? The EIC, is that what it's called? The exercise? Um, uh, Talk to me about EIC. Talk to me about what you would look for in a dog to make sure that you're, you know, giving yourself kind of that first step and upper ability of, of at least having the right bloodline and pedigree.
0: Well, I mean, you know, there's there's several ways to go about it. Some guys are huge pedigree guys, you know, I mean, they like they research the pedigrees and to them, obviously, they're going to have some sort of a connection with that pedigree, whether it's word of mouth or prior experience or someone else's dog that they liked or whatever the case is. So some guys go about it pedigree wise some guys go about it on word of mouth, like, Hey, Joe's got a good dog and and Mary's got a good dog and they're going to have a litter. And so some people go that way. Some, some people go about it, especially in today's world by their experience with that dog. Right. So like think about Sean doll, let's say. So Sean's a big guy or a big dog guy, you know, and, uh, I can't remember all those dogs' names, for God's sakes! But he's got Carl with the K, and this and that and the other. Let's say a guy's an R and T B fan or follows Sean Stahl. Well, he may want a dog out of Carl with a K more than anything in the world, not knowing anything about the pedigree or or you know history of of uh, medical issues or anything else, because he's seen Carl on K on Instagram a thousand times, and he's on buy one of those puppies. You know what I mean? So there are several ways to go that people come about choosing a puppy um one thing i'm sure of is that every puppy's a crapshoot okay you pick any litter in the world and and labs have big litters so let's say every every litter is 10 10 puppies okay do you think they're all going to be clones and be a, turn out exactly the same and have the same off button and the same level of drive and no i mean you're probably going to have three that are up here and five that are in the middle and three that are here and one that's just a shitter. You know what I mean? So, um, that's going to happen, but you can, you can stack the odds in your favor through, you know, dogs that have proven performance, whether it's through pedigree or, or, you know, success as a meat dog or, or whatever, but any puppy's a gamble, man. I mean, shoot, look at, look at my two kids. They're brought up in the same, same house same genetics, man, they couldn't be more opposite. I mean, you know, one loves to hunt and the other one is a animal lover and doesn't want to kill anything. And one's six foot four and the other one's, you know, five foot two and one's got white hair and the other one's got brown hair. I mean, it's just, you know, and so, or think of a, a think of, you know, a, a super successful businessman, let's say, and he's got five kids. They've all been brought up in the same house, same way, same parents. Are they all going to be overachievers? Probably not. I mean, maybe, but probably not. You know, they all went to private schools and had, you know, things given to them on a, on a silver platter. One of them's probably going to be a drug addict, (laughs) you know? I mean, that's just the way things go. So again, expectations and reality aren't necessarily the same when you're talking about a dog. I mean, you know, you're going to have some that are going to be really good and some that are going to be, you know, washouts like Butter. I mean, buddha needed to go to a pet home. And, uh, so, you know, every puppy's crapshoot, you just got to buy it, try to be fair to it, give it the best, you know, nutrition and healthcare. And above everything else I think is have realistic expectations and treat the dog fairly. Don't put it in bad situations. And be patient with it. And your chance of having a good, good gun dog on the backside are way higher.
1: So as you get into that career and owning this dog, and now nutrition plays a role into this, you have the ability to research food. You are in the business of dogs. You are a dog doctor. Why do you feed you canuba? when you could be feeding any dog food in the world that you want, you can afford any dog food that you want. You've lived a successful life. You're a hard worker. You can go out and buy any food that you want. Why, when I look up, Ira Macaulay, why do I, when I'm around you, I see you feeding you canuba. Is there a reason? And would you like hang your hat on that and tell somebody, this is why I feed it. And this is why I think that you should.
0: Well, I mean, you know, Yukonub is not brand new to to our world. You know, they used to have a very large presence in the sporting dog and hunting community. Um, you know, a decade, two decades ago, and and certainly, uh, I was very experienced back then with uh, with dogs and and that were eating Yukonub and they performed well and they looked they looked good and all of that. I mean, in today's world, there are. Plenty of good foods that are out there, but I think what sets Yukon and their sister company Royal Canin apart um, from many of those diets is that they practice what they preach. So they're, you know, they're making a premium product, but they're also making sure that that premium product, you know, they're on the leading edge of of R and D and product development and quality control and all those different things. I mean, you come to our office, and we don't sell any maintenance diet. So you can't buy Eukanuba there. You can't buy any puppy food, regular dog food, any of that stuff. But you can sure buy a whole lot of Royal Canin there because, you know, Royal Canin has all kinds of veterinary diets that are made for this disease process and this problem and that problem. And they're on the leading edge doing all that stuff. And, you know, a truly upper echelon of food and Eukanuba, um subscribes to the same line of thought. list of ingredients and does the research to make sure that that they're giving the dogs all the nutrients and building blocks they need to be successful in the field when when conditions are tough man you think of the things that we ask our retrievers to do not only in the super frigid times but also in the heat you know dove season feathers in their mouth all that you know we need a dog that can handle all those stresses physically emotionally all that and still be comfortable and have a good experience and and do the things that we're wanting for it to do and that it's wanting for itself you know
1: so what kind of results have you seen over your hunting career with Yukonuba? is it is it the energy is it the muscle growth is it The hair, the coat, the teeth, the gums. What are some of the benefits a dog food buyer needs to be thinking about based on just the food that he or she is putting into that male or female dog, no matter what the breed is?
0: Well, I mean, hey, I'm not knocking every other brand that's out there. I mean, there are some other high quality brands that are out there. And certainly, I was feeding my dogs a high quality diet before I went to feeding Yukanuba exclusively. But certainly, like I also get my dogs dental treats to supplement um, their dental health. And just like with people, some dogs have good oral hygiene, you know, they're never going to have tartar on their teeth. And then other dogs are terrible about it, you know? And uh, so I've had like cash, even when she was young, man, and Butta was really bad about getting tartar, but you know, Eukanuba has got uh, a dental additive to it to keep their teeth clean and you can really tell uh, when you feed Yukonuba, the teeth are way cleaner um, than they are when you feed, you know, another brand um, for the most part. And, uh, you know, the coats look good. I've had really good luck with stools in my dogs. Um, you know, you can keep the weight on them when it's hunting season. Uh, I mean, there's some changes coming in the Yukonuba line. They're going to come down the pike here real quick. Um I started feeding one of those diets maybe three weeks ago and I thought, you know, I'll probably see a change. So she was on 30, 20. I thought I'll probably see a change over the next month. Five days later, my son was like, man, cash getting fat. I'm like, Holy crap. She is getting fat. So I had to cut her food back by 25% within five days, just based on a diet change, which, honestly, it kind of blew my mind, you know, that 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 food, that new product that's coming out was that much more calorie and nutrient dense than what I was feeding her before. So there's some big changes coming. I mean, people should be, have their eyes open to what's coming down the the pike there. But, uh, you know, the biggest thing to me is that they're not just a company that like so many that are out there that are basically a brand development company where they're printing a fl- fancy label and they got a marketing campaign and someone else private label in their food forum. And they're not putting any money back into R and D and support and, and ingredient management and safety and all those things like, you know, a major company, like you Royal Canaan and a couple of others are, I mean, people ask me about niche brands all the time. They're like, what do you think about, blue kangaroo or whatever. I'm like, I, I have no earthly idea. I have no idea. I mean, it's just someone sitting in a cubicle with a computer, writing up some copy and coming up with a pretty bag, you know? And, and so I would highly encourage people to stick with, you know, brands that are, have the infrastructure to make sure they've got a well-rounded community associated with the products they're putting out there. And I love you do it.
1: And you can does that. Yeah. I love hearing it put, put like that. Um, you know, there's no, there is some bias, but not a lot. You're very fair in the assessment. Um, what about the cost? Ira, we, we spend this much on a gun and this much on a UTV and this much on a lease and the boat and a lodge and a trip and a plane ticket. And, um, this jacket, these waders, I mean, it's expensive to be, this podcast is wrapped around duck dogs, so it's expensive to be a waterfowl hunter. It's not, I mean, you could deer hunt for a lot cheaper than you can waterfowl hunting in most instances, right?
0: Well, yes,
1: so you could probably well,
0: you do that for god's sakes
1: <laughs> what do you tell somebody that is that what your answer is i mean look you're putting all this money into all this stuff and then you're going to try to cut a corner just based on price Yukonuba is not outrageously priced when you start breaking down the cups that you're going to feed and how many meals you're going to get out of that 40 pound bag is that what's your answer when people get a little bit of that maybe that sticker shock on the shelf
0: but i mean it, it doesn't even factor in it's not even a drop in the bucket i mean you know, most, most hunters aren't feeding old Roy. I mean, they're feeding something that's at least decent. Right. And so, I mean, shoot, you look at, you go grab any of those little niche brands that are, that are marketing brands, you know, and they're all going to be as much as you can do, but it is, but you know, they look pretty, they got cool catchwords They're grain free. They're, you know, this, that, and the other, whatever the end thing may be. And they've got some kid telling them what they should buy in a lot of cases. And like, like I said, a minute ago, you're just way better off sticking with a, a company that really has a super well-rounded program that makes sure that you got a great product. So it, it's, it doesn't cost any more than anything else. It's halfway decent. You know, um, I'm not a bud giving my dog an egg roll during hunting season or a cheeseburger for God's sakes, if we're in the blind, but, um, but that's not nutrition, you know, What's in that pink bag is is truly a well balanced set of nutrients that the dog needs, you know, to perform where we want to perform. So uh there's so many unknowns. Like I said, you know, people ask me about all these different brands. I have I'm A, I'm not a nutritionist, but B, I, I don't care. I mean, I'm not gonna go and look at the label on a bag and try to be the expert nutritionist because I'm not that, even being a veterinarian, you know, I I don't know. I'm gonna stick with something that has been tried and true, and that I know is a uh, a company that is they're they're checking all the boxes for me. I don't need to go check them myself, you know.
1: And it, it it really is okay to give a duck dog an egg McMuffin once in a while or a piece of bacon at the dinner at the breakfast table.
0: Well, you might get a slimy hot one the next day, but uh, <laughs> it's not gonna kill him. It's not gonna kill him. Just hope you're not in a layout boat with the dog sitting right behind you,
1: <laughs> with the wind at your back, huh?
0: Oh man. Yeah. Uh give me, tell give me, one real quick. Yeah, tell me
1: tell me a story and then I want another story about some of your best memories of or just one of your best memories of Sadie in Missouri on a hunt and what it did to you that day. We'll talk about, you know, we'll end it with a, a, a really cool Sadie story.
0: All right. So my brother, his old dog, I can't remember what that one's name was, but he had a chessie and this chessy was a tricolored chessie, okay. And he'd knocked the dog out at the office and we had a hairdresser next door and they would they would camouflage this dog so it'd be green black blonde brown every color under the sun they called them cambo well he'd feed them you know when we go to lunch at the buffet he'd give them whatever egg rolls right just whatever was left you know and so we go out one morning where there were like six of us hunting that layout boats you know that was how momar started was just layout boat stuff and so we had all these layout boats lashed together and you know. Sun's coming up and he'd hunt this dog with goggles on all the time when, when it was sunny. And uh, so the dog starts kind of whining, you know, he's like, lay down up there. And th- we didn't have, we didn't have uh, dog blinds in our layout boats back then. We just had him lay on the front of the, the, the front of the original fat boy there. And you were inside the cockpit and we had little doors, you know, And dog starts whining again. And he's like, be quiet up there. And the next thing you know, this dog rips off a liquid shit on the front of that thing. And it splashes off of that deck, and it is all over my brother's head. And so, if, if there was anything that I was going to give you a word of the wise about why not to feed your dog non-dog food stuff, that's why, man. you run the risk of getting crapped on. <laughs> And yeah, taking the bag
1: and clean his stuff. Out. I mean, it was terrible the rest of the day. Oh gosh! All because of the China buffet. Oh yeah, funny. Gotcha. So, ended like I appreciate you coming on. I know that you got you got your busy schedule. I um I know that you canoob proud to have you part of the team. Sadie was a was a was an awesome female. Do you do you have a story that stands out? Do you do you remember one that, that vividly, or was there just too many to even pick one?
0: Oh, I mean, there's just you know, she did. She had a lot of opportunity through the years. You know, I mean, shoot, she started off as a guide dog and first half of her life. You know, we were taking people every day and just huge volumes of birds and all that. But uh, I think the coolest thing, thinking back about her, other than just her quirky personality, you know, I mean, we were really Close friends. I mean, man, you know, she was my great friend being a dog uh, person, whatever. I mean, we had a special bond, but with her in particular, you see this with every gun dog, but I just remember like putting her in situations where day one, she'd be like this freaking sucks. And I'd get a little frustrated, you know, and she didn't want to do something and, you know, we'd have a little struggle there and then she'd sleep on it. And the next day it was like, okay, well, I got over that last night. I came to grips with it. And the next day she'd just be like, okay, well, heck I've done this a million times, you know? And so I think if you're just patient and let them kind of learn and digest things a little bit, they'll, uh, you'll see that happen. in most of them, you know, instead of really getting on them and getting too hard on them. But one, one story that I have when she was young, she was probably like 10 months old and, uh, the day before, you could tell she wasn't having much fun, man. We snow snowing, sun. it was super cold, it was wet. The inside of her dog bond was wet. And I was in leaving in the truck, and this, this old guy said, no, nah, man, bring her out there. I was like, okay, but I might have to bring her back up here. I mean, I'm not going to make her get in there and create a bad deal. He's like, all right. So we have this group of geese come in, and they got in there right. And so we shoot, like, five out of it, you know, and they all fall, and so – she gets picked up there and we're sitting there and I'm like, she's staring off into the distance there. I'm like, I wonder what she's looking at. And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, did anyone see a sailor or anything? Everybody's like, no, man, everything fell dead right here. I'm like, I didn't see anything, you know? And so she's looking out there and looking out there. And the old guy goes, well, you might as well send her. I mean, she thinks something's out there. You might as well let her go and see if it's out there. So I say her name and I'll be dang. This little nine-month-old puppy runs out there like 350 yards. I mean, I'm thinking she's running town. I don't know what she's doing. Picks up snow goose and comes back. I was like, well, I'll be there. I mean, it was still just one of the coolest things, you know, because uh, she'd seen that thing and marked it and remembered it, even though she already picked up five others, you know, and none of us had any clue that it was out there. And and it was flat. I mean, it's not like she could see it out there walking around or anything, you know, so that was – that was probably the first thing I saw her do where I was like, okay, this dog's in some DRI.
1: Now, was that the first flock of the day or was it, could it have come out of the prior flock and she had it remembered from a prior flock if you guys thought five went down the decoys?
0: No, I think everything before that had been like singles or whatever, you know, I think that's the first flock that we had shot. Yeah.
1: They're an amazing animal, man. They just, they, there's just so many countless times of, that they blow your mind and it's just it's the coolest thing when when you start talking about the animal. You know, every animal's cool. Bucking bulls jump four feet off the ground at eighteen hundred pounds, and I mean, you, you got there's so many. You know, these drug dogs and these guard dogs and security dogs and police dogs, and um, you know, you canubus there to help all of these breeds. You know, live their best life nutritionally and provide them with the right diet. And I just kind of wanted to pick your brain today of of what makes it a special part of our life, you know, and why we choose to feed it and why Yukonuba has, you know, quickly mounted themselves back up on that top of the, you know, top of the food chain. In my opinion is that I've just seen amazing results with it from our dogs in Georgia and Minnesota and out here in the West coast. And I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. I'm proud that you're a part of it. And um, I don't know, man, I think that the next step that we need to take in our friendship, Ira McCauley is maybe a duck hunt.
0: Let's go get them
1: i'm ready i just need to i'm just waiting for that invitation do they come in the mailbox do they come pony express do they come no, my by text.
0: By text let's uh yeah let's look at our schedules and see if we can figure something out here
1: yeah maybe you can come out to california this year too for that 10 spec a day uh specs uh you know the specs are 10 birds a day out here
0: and that's great that makes
1: for a fun hunt.
0: yeah I, I do want to say one other thing to whoever might be listening but you know and I didn't say it before. I've said it before, but I didn't say it today. But, you know, Yukonuba is investing heavily into our community of people. So sporting dog people, duck hunters. Why would you feed a, a, a brand of dog food that's not that's not investing in our community? You know, let's say it was ten dollars more a bag. OK, I mean, it's it's worth it to partner up with the company that's supporting our lifestyle. So, you know, that, that to me, it it should be a no brainer um, that someone should feed a brand that is walking the walk in our community.
1: Very well said. I agree. I think what they're doing and the team they have there, what we got to experience last year up in Ohio and then when we went over to over to Churchill Downs, um, just a great team building, you know, experience. And what you just said rings true with me as well of I, I think that they have an unbelievable team science wise, research wise, development wise, you know, everything that's going into that recipe and these foods. They're looking at you. They're looking at us. They're looking towards the people that are living this life and this culture every day. And they're letting us have a say in, in, in how this is going to go down too. And I think that's the other cool part of this partnership and relationship is that we're all working together and they bounce ideas off of us constantly. And and I just think that it's neat that they would have the credibility, um, you know, or the at least the trust to come to us and say, hey, we wanna be part of what you're doing. This this podcast idea and you know, what is doing and what Mo Marsh is doing, what Higgs. Is doing and what hf and habitat flats are doing i just think it's them looking for us for some of the answers too about this culture so that shows that they really respect us to come to the people that are living that life every day you know what i mean yeah i think it's a i think it's a great relationship what else you got on the docket today
0: buddy this uh probably just honeydew's rested today and getting ready for the rest of my week man it's so crazy at the office um try to get myself organized been up you know, we have our own farm up in Sumner in addition to all the habitat flat stuff. And uh I mean Tony does a lot of the management stuff there, but we do a lot of it ourselves also. So man, buddy, this time of year I'm walking on a lot of Jap millet uh with my feet because you don't want to drive a machine through a lot of these spots. You know, we we manage them for high water, draw the water off, go through, hand seed them, cause that millet will germinate like that and you get incredible production. So it's been hot and we've been doing some nasty jobs with snakes and mud but uh come fall it pays off tenfold so it's worth it
1: well good for you man i'm proud of what you guys have built there it's pretty like what i said in the beginning of this conversation you guys have built an empire with habitat flats i know you're very humbled by it but from the outside looking in you guys have done a tremendous job so congratulations that's Ira Macaulay, Momarsh, Habitat Flats. He's a dog lover, a dog owner, a dog handler, a duck hunter, a supporter of our culture and our lifestyle. He is a team Ucanuoba member with pride. This has been another episode, another edition of the foul life podcast Yukanuba duck dog series fueled by Yukanuba sporting dog please support the partners and sponsors that support us thank you guys so much for subscribing to the podcast keep sending us the direct messages on topics that you want to hear right here at Yukonuba duck dogs foul life podcast i'm chad Belding for ira mccauley we're signing off any closing words my man
0: no man shoot fast or shoot last buddy that's about
1: it i love it shoot fast or shoot last from the famous words of ira McColey. habitat flats tom hit that button this is 2 a.m logic the song is called my foul life thank you all very much